what is above be lowered, what is below will rise. The islands will unite and we will stand and be strengthened. This is the prophecy of Kapihe, who lived during the time of Kamehameha the Great in the early 1800s. He foresaw a massive overturning, a significant shift in power, and this chant is as relevant today as it was then. Welcome to Vossa, celebrating creators, thinkers, and changemakers while sharing stories about what makes us tick, what challenges us, and what the future looks like in the communities, countries, and region we call home, supported by the World Bank in the Pacific and PNG. Our first episode of 2022 shares voices from our oceanic region, reminding us of our connection to the ocean and all the ways in which Pacific people are working to protect and preserve it. Last year, the United Nations Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development began, calling for the science we need for the planet we want. But taglines aside, what does it all mean? The ocean is essential to the planet's survival. The Earth's blue lung, its heat and carbon sink. It affects the air we breathe, the food we eat, and countless ecosystems around us. In 2019, the Pacific exported 530,000 tons of seafood products worth 1.2 billion US dollars. From soaring mountains to coral atolls, the importance of the ocean is not new to Pacific people. We've known this for millennia. But we do not just come parrot the facts you already know. Back to you in poetic prose, we navigate our way across the digital divide, seafarers and ocean people hitching our sails and ourselves with virtual magic, technology, art, poetry, oratory, traveling many miles in a global pandemic so we can arrive and be here without being here. We will not come to you speaking numbers. We will not be stuck in the small cages of spreadsheets. We come accounting for generations to come, knowing our blue bonds are to the ocean, earth and sky. In a world defined by boundaries, numbers and economic terms, the ocean is so much more than this for the people of the Pacific, says Dr. Katie Sawapi of the Pacific Community Centre for Ocean Science. Katie is an ocean scientist who spent her childhood by the sea on Rendova Island in Solomon Islands' western province. She talks about our responsibility to the land and the ocean, acknowledging the interconnectedness of land, sea and sky. The land does not stop at the shoreline. It extends to the ocean floor, to the deep ocean, and even sometimes, you know, in our imagination beyond the EEZ, it's that connectivity and that continuous connecting of land and ocean that makes stewardship very important and custodianship because our responsibility doesn't stop where the shoreline is. And I think it's no surprise that we in the Pacific still have some of the healthiest ecosystems. And I believe it has a lot to do with our indigenous people and how they care for their land, their seascape, and their oceans. When your livelihood depends on the ocean, it's very important that you also understand it and that you respect it. Alisi Rubukawanga, a marine project officer with the International Union for Conservation of Nature and a passionate Indigenous rights and climate change advocate, explains why boundaries matter. 
I'll start from marine spatial planning um, because that's, you know, like the area that I work in. And if I have to try and like put it simply, it's really this balancing act of uh, protecting our biodiversity as well as recognizing the uses of ocean space. And this all happens within a maritime boundary for a country, eh, which is often referred to as the exclusive economic zone. Eh? While other countries or regions may have land borders to contend with, the Pacific is a region of maritime boundaries, covering 42 million square kilometres of ocean space. There are 48 places on our Pacific Ocean uh, where two countries may share a maritime boundary. Eh? And almost 75% of these boundaries have already been negotiated in the Pacific. And uh, what's significant about this is that, is that it makes the Pacific world leaders in negotiating maritime zones. Um, while the rest of the world has only about 60% of these boundaries. That's a pretty cool reminder of our region's leadership when it comes to maritime boundaries. It's not new as we know. This knowledge and understanding has been with us for millennia. Decades ago, many Pacific countries were closely involved in setting up the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea, or UNCLOS, the legal framework for ocean activities. In August 2021, Pacific countries showed leadership again when leaders of the Pacific Islands Forum issued the Declaration on the Preservation of Maritime Boundaries in the face of climate change-related sea level rise. Recalling with pride that Pacific Islands Forum members have a long history of support for the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, adopted as an important contribution to the maintenance of peace of justice and progress for all peoples. Acknowledging that the relationship between climate change-related sea level rise and maritime zones was not contemplated by the drafters of the Convention at the time of its negotiation. Underlying that coastal states, particularly small island development states and low-lying states, which are specially affected by sea level rise, and climate change have planned their development in reliance on the rights to the maritime zones guaranteed in the Convention. Recalling the long-standing concern in our Pacific region for preserving maritime zones in the face of climate change-related sea level rise and, in particular, the commitment made by the leaders of the Pacific Islands Forum at our 50th meeting in August 2019 for urgent and collective action to secure maritime zones of forum members delineated in accordance with the Convention against sea level rise and climate change. From the global and regional to the national, we've had some trailblazing Pacific people like Masio Nidung of PNG, who has worked on charting her country's maritime zone for many years. So at the end of the day, it's all about jurisdiction, sovereignty, and it's, you achieve that through boundary delimitation. She and colleagues gathered virtually last year to mark 20 years of Pacific maritime boundaries, and Masio reflected on how far they've come in finalising our maritime zones, forming the foundation for securing these areas for future generations. I look back and I reflect back on what we did, and I'm happy we did. You know, and for somebody else to continue, whoever comes after, they can continue their work. Concluding a country's maritime zone means a legal foothold. It means being able to retain sovereignty rights over this zone, rights to fish and sell fishing licenses, rights to explore minerals and generate energy, 
rights to establish marine protected areas, and to enforce laws. This global leadership our region continues to exercise, having negotiated 35 out of our 48 boundaries and placed them under treaty, as Alisi mentioned, is all possible thanks to the early work of trailblazers like Masio. We undertook a physical verification exercise. Uh, we spread that out in three years. And by doing so, we came across a lot of, um, I give an example in the atoll, in the atolls outside of Bougainville, um, the Motlock Island group, we came into Motlock and the old map we used, it depicted a different entrance point. But when we were there physically, we saw the entrance was uh, different. So it was wrongly ma- uh, put on that original the shipping chart. So we, had, we got that corrected. And that explained why the ships used to go aground a lot in that area. While the foundations have been laid and are now incorporating new technology, the Pacific brings our own equally valuable knowledge and science, honed over centuries. As Dr. Katie Soapi said, there is a reason that the Pacific is still home to some of the Earth's healthiest ecosystems. We come to speak with ancient tongues in our mother languages. We come in the spirit of Maui. Come see. Ukiko Maui. We are but small populations from small places, challenging those much more powerful than us. Ko Maui, tine tine ahi. But we come from the largest ocean in the world, and that ocean has taught us a thing or two about life. Islands taught us what we know. Islands teach you brutal lessons. But they become loving if you learn to live with them like the ocean. Rather than seeing the sea as something that separates, it joins and connects our region. Here's Matthew Chigial, Deputy Director of the National Oceanic Resource Management Authority, NORMA, in the Federated States of Micronesia, explaining how rather than racing against each other to declare their zones, Pacific countries worked together. It's really the shared working together in the region that actually propel, you know, the success. It's not just FSM that did the work, you know, we, uh, for our extended continental shelf, declaring that the, it is important for the three countries, FSM, PNG, and Solomon Islands, to work together. You know, in the beginning, we were told that you, there is a race. You have to make sure you make your claim. And so you can claim over others and beat the others to the claim. You know, that's the kind of thing we were told in the beginning. Uh, but we said, no, we're going to work together. You know, the Pacific way is always the way we do things. And that's really, uh, in my view, you know, the backbone for all the success, that we join together and share bigger resources that we have. As Matthew describes, there are ways of working and being that fall under this Pacific way. The region is as diverse as it is vast, and yet there are common threads that connect Pacific peoples. Dr. Francis Koya Vakauta, Team Leader for Culture for Development at the Pacific Community, SBC, explains. I really see myself as an ocean person. Um, the ocean is cleansing and clarifying. So both culturally and personally, it's very special to me. It features a lot in my writing, in my art. And there's just something really special about being at the ocean that can't be replicated anywhere else. You know, that's that spiritual connection. And separate from that, I think as part of my own identity, like other Pacific Islanders, you know, our family stories, our journey stories, 
our genealogical stories of origin and connection, uh, the ocean really plays a big part in all of that. In one of my mother's maternal Samoan lines, the name itself, uh, Tanuvasa, means um, out of the deep ocean. And the story being that the first Tanuvasa, having been sighted emerging out of the ocean, I've always wondered, was he um, a traveler, you know, was it a case of that he was washed ashore um, or is it more a story of shape-shifting and did he actually physically come out of the ocean? I don't know, but yeah, so, so many stories like that about the ocean and, you know, other heritage connections of journeys across the ocean. You, you just can't ignore the significant role that it plays in our lives, both personally and um, collectively, yeah? Almost any Pacific person will have a family story or name or connection to the ocean that transcends the physical world, propelling us forward over generations. We would go to the ocean and that would be our first playground. It would be our first, you know, way of somebody brings us into the ocean. It's always an auntie or an uncle and they hold you up. And that's how so many of us experience the ocean for the first time is we bring our babies in there and our nieces and nephews. And that was maybe the first like defining moment. Meet Kalani Reyes, a daughter of Micronesia, specifically from the Marianas and producer and member of the Deep Pacific Podcast Collective, diving into and mobilizing mutual aid for Pacific issues. Currently living on Guahan, Guam, the ocean has played a defining role in key moments of Kalani's life and continues to do so. My dad was actually uh, lost at sea on my first birthday. So he was lost at sea um, for three days with a friend of his, a relative. And so... My first birthday, my dad had gone out to go fishing for, you know, catch fish for the family gathering and party. And first birthdays are such a big thing. And uh, he went during a time where it was kind of iffy. And he had had a a little boat. It was just a a little, maybe a a 17-foot boat and a little engine on it. And they went out and the engine died. And they drifted, um, and then it got really rough. He went out to the east side of Saipan, which is uh, a place called Lao Lao Bay. Um, they drifted off into the almost eastern, um, uh, eastwards, and uh, got found. And I think that that, um, just having my dad be able to come back, after that, everything that, my dad was never, is is not, afraid of the ocean or getting lost at sea or he would go back in a heartbeat and do it again (laughs) Uh, but that after afterwards growing up I had had such a close connection with my dad and he really helped me see the environmental part of it. Having just graduated with a degree in biology from the University of Guam The ocean is present in Kalani's academic and professional life journey. I had wanted to be a marine scientist since I was like nine or uh, I read a book um, written by a white woman scientist. Her name was Eugenie Clark and this was fourth grade and uh, it was called The Shark Lady. And it inspired me and I, I uh, thought, okay, I don't have, I didn't have the um, role models 
of women, especially brown women like me, um, to look up to. And so I looked up to this woman and wanted to to do what she did. And she went to Scripps Oceanographic Institute, did some research there. She founded her own marine lab. And so the next defining moment in my life was when I went off to college and I got an opportunity because I'm Pacific Islander to go to Scripps for a fellowship. And I got to go there and work in in the building she worked at. And then I got to stand on the, the pier that was just the iconic Scripps Institute pier. And that was like the next part that it felt to me, oh, this is what I've always been meaning to do. This is this is meant for me, you know, all these things. Ever present, its influence and insights impacting her life in waves, the ocean and its cultural significance became crystal clear when Kalani found herself in Guam for the Festival of Pacific Arts and Culture, or FESTPAC. The um, FESTPAC 2016, the Festival of Pacific Islands, it happened in Guam. And I, at that time, was a biosampling um, technician working with uh, the fish markets on Guam under the Pacific Island Fishery Science Center. And doing the fish market surveys on Guam and interacting with the fishermen, especially as a young brown woman, but coming from an environmental background, it was different because I had all these ideas that I actually were um, colonial um, in, a, in a sense, because it was about preservation without thinking about the utilization, without really considering the cultural aspects and how is this um, area used. So um, that, that job really gave me such insight. And then FESPAC happened and I was volunteering with the fisheries booth in the very back um, in Hagania. And I got to see all these people um, come to Guam, Guahan, and see, uh, you know, the the Rapa Nui delegation, the, um, you know, the Micronesian delegations, uh, the, like, all the Polynesian, Melanesian, Micronesians that were able to, to make it. That was just amazing to see that I saw them in their, in their cultural wear and um, doing dance and and they came on canoes. So it was very a very defining moment uh, at, for me. And it gave me goosebumps that entire beautiful, wonderful summer of 2016. Because I got to experience another part of me meeting another... A part of me meeting another part of me. After this pivotal moment and living for a time in the United States when Kalani encountered the Black Lives Matter movement, it all added to her ongoing advocacy for indigenous and ocean rights, appreciating environmental, cultural, social, and political issues relating to the land and sea, and seeing the synergy in how we and our ecosystems are all connected. So emerged the Deep Pacific podcast. The Deep Pacific I wanted it to be a kind of more than just a podcast. I wanted it to show our voices, but I also wanted it to be mutual. So people are giving us such important information. Uh, They're giving us their life experiences. And I don't take that lightly. I wish that I could give them more than what I, I offer, but 
people in giving us their life experiences, I also wanted to give something back, at least to their communities. I wanted to take the idea of what a podcast was and kind of just flip it and make it something that is is Pacific of the Pacific and it is with the Pacific. And so uh, all of these different things relate to the ocean because these are people who need who would be taking care of their ocean if it weren't for other things that had they have to do in their daily lives. Mama, there is truth in the eyes of children and in their mouths. It's a nursery rhyme for those of us who never had nurseries, never needed them either. For those of us that learnt, even as we susu'd the susu of our mama, that even the moon, the powerful bright moon, can hide behind a maunga and be safe. For those of us that learnt that the land, the maunga, the sea belong to us, and we belonged, not once, but always. So what's at stake? Why does all this work matter? And what does it mean to be a custodian or steward of the ocean? You're born with it just like 50 yards away from you. <laughs> no matter where you live in the Marshall Islands, the ocean will always be less than a couple of yards, like, 10, 20 yards. Kalena Katil de Broom is chief scientist of ocean fisheries with the Marshall Islands Marine Resources Authority. She's part of a community initiative helping revive and manage marine life in places where overfishing and other developments have seen marine populations depleting. The word itself, Reimalak, is the uh, Marshallese translation for looking towards the future. And it was developed as a response to the Marshall Islands committing to the Micronesia Challenge. It was our response. It's a national framework that's very community-based. The way that it works is usually we'll get a request from a local government leader. Usually it's a mayor. We discuss what their concerns are. So maybe they'll come to us and they'll say, well, we've noticed that there has been a, there is a lot of erosion or we've noticed that when we go fishing, we're catching less fish or the fish are much smaller than they used to be. And uh, that's usually how it starts out. And then we'll do um, an initial first trip to the community and have our first consultation with them. And this is where we can hear everybody's voices. And that's why Reimalak is so important is that it's very, we try to make it very inclusive. Like many Pacific people may relate to, Kalena has noticed the differences in marine health and biodiversity between outer islands or atolls and urban centers. You jump in and you're just surrounded by fish that you would not commonly see in a more populated atoll state. So it's very, well, I only know like scientific names and Marshallese names. <laughs> well, the Napoleon wrasse is definitely one that we see more in the outer islands, and they're big, they're huge. When we were up all the way up north in Bigar, it was the first time I've ever seen 
the bumphead parrotfish in the Marshall Islands, which used to be very common but is now very rare because it was heavily hunted for its meat. You also see more turtles, of course. I've had a lot of friends run into manta rays, which I haven't had the chance to see back home, which breaks my heart. Kalena and her colleagues are working with communities to make the most of their marine resources. And the rewarding thing is watching communities take charge of fostering a healthy, thriving ocean. Last year, we were able to visit 10 atolls and sign off on four resource management plans with the rest of them probably getting signed this summer. And that is something that we probably could have never done without without the help of the World Bank. The World Bank has been supporting the Marshall Islands Marine Resource Authority to implement the Raymond Locke Conservation Framework through the Pacific Islands Regional Oceanscape Program. This works in seven Pacific countries to help increase returns from ocean resources while putting in place systems to protect those resources for generations to come. Another thing that shows the successes of the Raymond Locke is when we see that the local communities can do the the resource management work by themselves. When they take the reins from us and they facilitate their own discussions. And I think a successful thing of the Reymanlak is to keep them doing that without us around and just hearing updates from them. Like on Ebon Atoll, they took it upon themselves to ban things like sea cucumber harvesting and having seasonal restrictions on giant clams which weren't things that we pushed them to do. It was just that we showed them that these animals were depleting, their populations were depleting. Work like Kalena's and that of the ocean advocates in this episode has meaning. It's not just a box to tick. This is existential work. Francis is encouraged by the united voice of Pacific leaders in their declaration on preserving maritime boundaries. And like us all, is interested in seeing the meaningful actions that stem from that effort. It's really great to see the solidarity and the united voice, because in the past you may have had pocket uh, advocates who were trying really hard to um, articulate this particular message. But when you have solidarity, the world pays attention because you've got so many uh, Pacific leaders standing up and, and speaking with one voice. Separate from the, the global uh, impact is just the the impact and implications of this show of leadership and solidarity for the next generation. You know, I mean, you just can't, money can't buy the the impact and benefit of that. Um, And I think that what we really would like to see is we'd like to see more examples of this, of our leaders coming together, hearing and seeing the, the kind of solidarity I think was really encouraging while the world has taken note that doesn't necessarily mean that they will take action. And so the next step will be to find the right language to convince them of the next steps that need to happen. Particularly when it comes to perspectives on Pacific culture and ideals and acknowledging them in negotiations and agreements related to the ocean, Francis sees actors in three categories. One being the too hard category, two being the longer term, keep working on it category, and three being the category where Pacific perspectives don't matter at all. 
but it's those that fall in the third category who have already determined the culture deficit model that it doesn't matter what we say. They really have no intention of engaging because in their mind, it's like this one worldview, one development model fits all and you get with the program or you get left behind. And that's the one I think that's most troubling and, and scary. I'd like to think that the leader's show of solidarity and having one voice is actually beginning or maybe the milestone we needed to kind of start chipping away at that third category and pushing more into the first and second categories because those we can definitely work with. Our traditional uh, custodians are fighting battles on multiple levels and being forced to make decisions around issues and to be part of conversations that they haven't been prepared for, that they're not ready to make strong decisions on what I think the role of custodian is for those of us in the development space or in academia and how we can contribute to the overall well-being of our people in the region. And I think it has to be heart work because if your heart's not in it, then, then it's not custodianship. It can never be a job that you need to do with a direct outcome. And yes, tick the box, it's done, now move on to the next task. I think it's forever work. <laughs> And I scare myself when I say that out loud, but I think it really is, yeah. <laughs> Masio definitely sees the value in having a region with well-defined maritime zones and boundaries, independent of sea level rise. That's the hope for, uh, you know, the region to properly define and so it can, you know, uh, you know exercise uh, the rights and, uh, and also, uh, you know, exploit the resources as well, mm, sustainably, yeah. I hope that um, the the sea level rise aspect of it is uh, very important, and I understand that there's some work going on in this area. But I would support that uh, support what the leaders are doing, you know, because once um, some of the islands sink, then you know there's no territory. So that would be a concern for the, uh, the small island countries, especially those low lying ones. Kalena is driven by seeing communities making decisions for the future of their marine resources for themselves. I want them to have the evidence and the science and use it to their advantage. And I think that's what makes Rema look successful. And that's why it's so important that it works is because all Marshallese people should be able to make those important decisions for themselves and you know, not rely so much on outside help, which is also why I really like the Reymalak and how it, it is, it's a national framework and it's, and we're sending out Marshallese people to implement it. Kalani maintains that the key to overcoming our many shared and intersecting challenges will be in our solidarity with one another. The challenges may be great, but so are the possibilities. And that's part of what she and the Deep Pacific Collective are focusing on. We have to choose between these things. We have to choose between oh, schoolwork and my, you know, PhD or grad studies, or do I defend my land against gasoline in the waters? So it's that's probably one of the biggest issues is that we're fighting all these different ones on different fronts. And if we could pool our resources together a little bit better, um, organize kind of trans-Pacific um, solidarity, even trans-oceanic solidarity. I think that we could do a lot better, you know. I would gladly create these platforms so that I could hear myself from somebody from Papua 
how best can I support you? I, I don't want to do the research online and see, oh, nonprofits in Papua, because I don't know which ones to trust. And I don't know how best my money can or my, you know, mutual aid can help serve these communities. And I don't need to go into those communities and speak for them. They can speak for themselves. Similarly, Alisi sees the voyage ahead as more than just numbers and lines in reports. It's about consensus and finding new ways to work together towards our commitments as countries and as a region. There were commitments made, uh, you know, internationally or nationally by countries, national commitments made by countries internationally to protect 30% of their oceans, Fiji included, right? And I think at first, for me, the, the, the vision for success was if we can get this 30% going, then that's great. That means that we have done it, eh? like it's going to be protected. But as I continue to do this work, I, you know, I, I realize that it's, it's much less about hitting that number, but it's much more important to get that consensus and that agreement to work together because you are looking at the protection of biodiversity for the, the tree huggers and the NGOs, but you also have to consider the industries that are using the space. You also have to consider our economy and know how we're making money. There are people that, need to extract from our oceans for living every day. And now we can't just disregard them. Uh, and then there are the threats of climate change, disasters, and all of these other issues. And it becomes less and less. I mean, like that target is probably like a line on a report that says, okay, we've done it. Eh? But for me, the success is if we're able to come together and agree to work together to do this, even if we all come together and we will come up with a different way to work together, I think that would still, in my opinion, be a success because that's the most important part that we're all working together. Matthew reminds us that it was working together that brought us this far, leading the globe in this area of work. And he believes working together will take us forward. We look at the tradition that exists between us, between Papua New Guinea and Ebersim, between Marshall Islands and Ebersim, between Palau and Everson. That's what drives, you know, uh, the negotiation of those uh, boundaries. And it just went, you know, uh, seamlessly smooth and very successful. And then we never have to really deal with hard negotiation skills because we work together as a team. And I hopefully, I would like to encourage everyone to continue to use the Pacific way to negotiate these treaties. You know, it has served us well for generations and it's gonna serve us well into the future. Protect Pacifica, the youth advocate. Nurture the land and sea, it is our trade. Develop nations, be mindful of our fate. May your energy be clean as you create. As you create. For all our ocean advocates, this is forever work. More than just something we do professionally, this is our past, present, and future existence. Frances talks about her realization after a work-related milestone that this is part of a long and worthwhile voyage. You know, you don't see the re or reap the rewards immediately, um, and so you hope that you just keep 
one foot in front of the other. And sometimes you keep advocating and broadcasting the same message, sometimes even for decades. And you hope that in a small way, as you're chipping away, change will come. And it's when you see those pockets of change and when you see the, the rigid mindset slowly beginning to loosen, um, and then you see more people willing to be at the table, uh, those who were previously closed now initiating the conversation about culture and traditional knowledge. And I think that's really, re really humbling to know that, um, oh, actually, maybe the work that I'm doing is having an impact beyond a nine-to-five job, beyond meeting your KPIs or KRAs, you know, beyond being a good professional, um, that it's going to have an impact. I thank all the amazing guests and voices in this episode. The poetry you heard throughout the episode is from Mana Moana, Pacific Voices, an initiative supported by Aotearoa New Zealand and coordinated by the Pacific Regional Environment Program, SPREP, with support from many Pacific Island people, organizations, and communities, developed for screening during the UNFCCC COP26. Masio Nidung, Matthew Chigiel, Dr. Katie Sawapi and Dr. Francis Koya Vakauta's contributions were thanks to the Pacific Community, SPC, who recently held the high-level dialogue on Pacific maritime boundaries and celebrated the 20th anniversary of regional coordination of this work in December last year. For more Ocean Voices, you can follow SPC's The Pacific Way podcast, featuring stories of science, culture and innovations from across the region. We have also had great assistance and content from partners including Norma, FSM's National Oceanic Resource Management Authority, and MIMRA, Marshall Islands Marine Resources Authority. You can find out more about Kalena and her work with Raymond Locke, listen to the Deep Pacific podcast that Kalani produces, and visit deeppacific.org to learn more about them and support the important work of their mutual aid collective. Thanks also to the Pacific Islands Forum Secretariat. All these details and acknowledgements are in our show notes. I'm grateful to everyone who joined this conversation on the ocean. Thanks to the World Bank in the Pacific and PNG for supporting such important conversations. More information is in our show notes too about the World Bank's support for ocean livelihoods and healthier oceans. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, follow us on social media, and share the podcast with your community. We'll be back in March and hope you'll join us next on VOSA when we mark International Women's Day. Until then... Take care and stay safe. Ete atu amana nui akarongo mai. Ete atu amana nui akarongo mai. Tangaro ati atu teu itu puna. Korongo matane ti papanui Te tuatini tangaroae Tangaroa ti atua te uitupuna Korongo matane ti papanui Te tuatini Manotini, e. Lee.